In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today, as we always should when we begin to study Scripture. Help us to understand what it is that you want us to understand out of this. And help us to take it to heart, because that is where wisdom truly begins. So we ask your blessing on our efforts today and always. We just give you praise and thanksgiving and all thanks in Jesus' name. How many of you found the <clears throat> book of wisdom a little easier to read? And a little more interesting, I would think. I hope. <clears throat> Anyways, I always, I always find it probably the best in, uh, uh, of all of the seven books. Naturally, uh, each has its own place and its own meaning, uh, but I just happen to like this one uh, the best of all. So let us uh, begin. I want to uh, kind of go through this almost word for word because that's really the only way you're going to see it in its its beauty and and the timeliness of it all. So, the um, the first part, that is uh, chapter 1 through 6, is divided in sort of three little uh, more minor parts, uh, beginning with the, the two worlds. So, let's start right from the beginning, because I'd like to explain as we go along here. The reward of righteousness, that's a word that we don't as Catholics particularly use very often. Um, But uh, I want to continue to use it here, and then later on, Uh, I'll explain the difference between that and a more common usage, okay? Love righteousness, you who judge the earth. Think of the Lord in goodness and seek him in integrity of heart because he is found by those who do not test him and manifest himself to those who do not believe in him. Now, what that really means is by giving yourself voluntarily to the will of God and asking for his guidance and direction, you actually will be growing in wisdom. And that is what it is really referring to here. It says, for perverse or because perverse counsels separate people from God and his power. Put to the proof, it it rebukes the foolhardy. Some of the times when you're reading particularly the Old Testament, and because much of it was written in a poetic form, and not the rhyme that we have today, but in a poetic form, uh, you have to add in words, or you have to repeat a word 
in order to carry the thought along. Right. And I'll give you an example of that as we go along. Uh, because perverse counsels separate us from God. The things that are contrary to the will of God separate us from God uh, and his power. Put to proof, perverse uh, counsels rebukes the foolhardy because into a soul that plots evil, wisdom does not enter, nor does she dwell in a body under debt of sin. For the Holy Spirit of discipline flees deceit. Now, the Holy Spirit here is not the Holy Spirit with capital letters as we would normally think. Remember, the Jewish people believed and still believe only in one God, but they often referred to him as a spirit or the spirit, or in this case, the Holy Spirit, meaning a sort of an adjective to uh, holiness of God. So don't think that they're talking about the Holy Spirit in the same way we think of the Holy Spirit today. <clears throat> For the Holy Spirit of God of discipline flees deceit and withdraws from senseless counsels. In other words, the Holy Spirit will leave us if we consist are constantly uh, are in a state of sin. For wisdom is a kindly spirit, yet she does not acquit blasphemous lips, because God is the witness of the inmost self and the sure observer of the heart and listener to the tongue. God listens to anyone and everyone who with faith talks to him or falls upon him for some purpose. For the spirit of the Lord fills the world, is all-embracing and knows whatever is what is said. The spirit, actually we are talking about the Holy Spirit in this case, but the writer here is not looking upon that in the same way we do. Right? But it's amazingly close. And I think in a way, because this is written as probably the last book of the Old Testament, it is sort of a way of God's preparing people for the idea or the concept of the Trinity that Christ brought. Therefore, those who utter wicked things will not go unnoticed, nor will chastising condemnation pass them by. For the devices of the wicked shall be scrutinized, and the sound of their words shall reach the Lord. For the chastisement of their transgressions, because a jealous ear hearkens to everything, and discord Discordant grumblings are not secret. Therefore, guard against uh, profitless grumbling and from calumny without your tongues, for a, uh, withhold your tongues, I should say, for a stealthy utterance will not go unpunished, 
and a lying mouth destroys the soul. This whole section here is sort of a going back and forth or contrasting of the wicked versus the righteous. It is sometimes a little difficult to see which is which with the wording they're using. Do not count death by your erring way of life. Do not court death by your erring way of life. Nor draw to yourself destruction by the words of your hands. Because God did not make death. That's important. Kind of underline that. God did not make death. Nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. For he fashioned all things that they might have being and the creatures of the world are wholesome. There is not a destructive drug among them, nor any domain of Hades uh, on earth. Hades was the uh, concept or the term used for hell in the way we use it. Hell in the way of the hell of the damned. All right. The other alternative was shale. And that was more like what we would say purgatory. The wicked reject immortality and righteousness alike. It was the wicked who with hands and words invited death. Considering considered it a friend and pined for it and made a covenant with it because they deserved to be allied with it for not thinking rightly <clears throat> they said among themselves brief and trouble is our lifetime there is no remedy for our dying nor is anyone known to have come back from Hades this is like the people who are so caught up in wickedness that they just sort of accept it and they look upon it as almost something to be proud of and you might say to yourself well who would ever do that you would be surprised really at the number of people who have gone so far over the edge um, that they have come to the time or place where they accept their demise and their damnation. I lost my place here. Yeah. For not thinking rightly, they said among themselves, brief uh, and troubled is our life there is no remedy for our dying, nor is anyone known to have come back from Hades. For by mere chance were we born, and therefore thereafter we shall be as though we had not been. Because the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason a spark from the beating of our hearts. See, they've sort of just given up. And when this quenched, our bodies will be ashes. When sort of life is quenched, 
our body will be ashes and our spirit will be poured about like empty air. Even our name will be forgotten in time and no one will recall our deeds. So our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud and will be dispersed like mist, pursued by the sun's rays and overpowered by its heat. For our lifetime is the passing of a shadow, and our dying cannot be deferred, because it is fixed with a seal, and no one returns. Okay? Now, this is all contrary to the teachings of Christ, which came later. So we don't, we today, do not look upon sinfulness or wickedness in that final stage, there is always the hope that the wicked person will turn from his evil ways and see and see the light and can be forgiven. Many people feel that, well, they've done so many bad things over their lifetime, how could they ever be forgiven? And they have this hopeless feeling and if they die with it, unfortunately, that's it. But only God can really be the final judge. We ourselves cannot judge others. <clears throat> Come, therefore, let us enjoy the good things that are here and make us, uh, make use of creation with youthful zest. Let us have our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no springtime blossom pass us by. This is the evil one who's going to say, let us eat, drink, and be merry because, you know, tomorrow we're going to die and that's the end of it. Well, unfortunately, that isn't the end of it. Let us have uh, our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no springtime blossom pass us by. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds because they wither. Let no, I'm sorry, rosebuds before they wither. Let no metal be free from our wantonness. Everywhere let us leave tokens of our merriment, for this is our portion and this is our law. Let us oppress the righteous poor. Let us neither spare the widow nor revere the age for hair grown white with time. But let our strength be our norm of righteousness, for weakness proves itself useless. Let us lie and wait for the righteous one because he is annoying to us. <clears throat> he opposes our actions and reaches us for the transgressions of the law and charges us with violations of our training in other words, these are people who are trying to correct uh, the wicked and, you know, train them to move away from their wicked ways. Well, he possesses to have knowledge of God and styles himself a child of the Lord. To us, he is the censor of our thoughts. Merely to see him is a hardship for us. In other words, it's hard for an evil person to look upon the righteous because it reminds them of their own misery and sinful ways. 
Because his life is not like that of our others, and different are his ways. He judges us debased. He holds aloof from our paths as from things impure. And he calls best the destiny of the righteous and boasts that God is his father. This should start giving you a clue here. Let us see whether his words be true. Let us find out what will happen uh, to him in the end. For if the righteous one is the son of God, God will help him. Now, from uh, I forgot. I think it's verse 15 on to the rest of this chapter. That is actually part of our Good Friday service. So you will hear that if you remember uh, come next March or April uh, in the Good Friday service. This portion of the book is repeated. For if the righteous one is the son of God, God will help him and deliver him from the hand of his foes. With violence and torture, let us put him to the test that we may have proof of his gentleness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a shameful death. For according to his own words, God will take care of him. And that is repeated in one of the Gospels um, of the, at the time of the transfer of the crucifixion. These were their thoughts, but they erred. Now this time, you know, this is changing. This is the way the good people will start looking at that. These were their thoughts, that is, the evil ones, but they erred. For their wickedness blinded them, and they did not know the hidden counsels of God. Neither did they count on a recompense for holiness. In other words, the ability to get out through the grace of God and turn around their lives. Nor discern the innocent soul's reward. For God formed us to be imperishable. The image of his own nature he made us. That's an important statement, I think, that should all, that should give us all hope. That God made us imperishable. He does not condemn anyone. We condemn ourselves by ignoring his teachings and his ways. He made us imperishable. He made us in his image and likeness. So therefore, God did not make us or, or <clears throat> predestined for hell in any way, shape, or form. For God formed us to be imperishable. The image of his own nature, he made us. But by the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who are allied with him experience it. Interesting here how we go on for almost two full chapters with the evil person or persons expounding on their sad state of life. And we only have 
two verses really that are from the, the good side. But I think the point here is that good does not have to defend itself. The righteous person doesn't have to defend himself because we can see the goodness in the righteous person. Now, the next section of today's portion of this book is the hidden counsels of God, and it's divided into three different parts on suffering. Why do good people suffer? Or as a famous book, uh, not too long ago says, why do bad things happen to good people? The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. They seem to be, oh, I'm sorry, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. They seem, in the view of the foolish, to be dead, and their passing away was thought an affliction and they're going forth from us, utter destruction. But they are in peace. In other words, and this section here is often used uh, as the first reading in a funeral mass. How many of you know that when you prepare for a funeral for someone, there are several choices, and you can choose your own uh, readings, including the gospel, um, out of what is offered. This is one of them. The way that the author is trying to present this here is that death is not the end of things. That death is really only a transition from one stage of the life that God gave us to another. And much of it is intended for the working out of our own life so that we can see why one person gets to heaven and another does not. If everybody went to heaven, then there would be no reason for people to be good or bad. All right? And that is the purpose, really, of explaining this here. But for when a good person dies, well, let's go on back. Uh, even back in the first book of uh, Judges, I mean, of Job and Kohelet, uh, both of them kind of said the same thing that Hoham, everybody ends up in the same place. So what is the point of trying to be good? What is the point of trying to follow uh, the laws of God and the church if we all end up in the same place? And, of course, the answer is they are mistaken. That not everybody does end up in the same place. 
that God is the final judge, but he allows us to have choices and make the choice so that if we end up in the wrong place, it is because we voluntarily chose to make the wrong choice. <clears throat> Let me go back just a little here. But they are in peace. For if no, if to others indeed they seem punished, yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastise a little. They shall be greatly blessed. Chastise a little is sort of uh, an inference of our uh, concept of purgatory. Because God tried them and found them worthy of himself as gold in the furnace be proved them. And as sacrificial offerings, he took them to himself. In the time of their judgment, they shall shine and dart about as a spark, as sparks through stubble. They shall judge nations and rule other peoples. In one of the gospels, Jesus tells uh, about the parable of giving <coughs> a rich uh, ruler giving uh, three of his servants uh, a certain amount of money. One received ten talents, and another received five, and another received one. And they were told to invest them and so forth, and upon the return of the, of the wealthy person, uh, he would uh, collect whatever over and above the original amount. <clears throat> so the first person uh, who had ten, he made enough to double that. And the response that the owner, who presumably is God, says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have uh, done well, and now I put you over uh, ten cities. I always thought that was a little strange myself, uh, because he did a good job. He now becomes the ruler of ten cities. Well, it sort of harkens back to this book here. They shall judge nations and rule over peoples just because they got to heaven. Um, that sounds like uh, quite an exaggeration. Uh, but I think it is intended to be something that is part of the blessing, the whole idea of what heaven is all about. You see, the author of this book had no concept of heaven in the way we do, nor did he have a concept of hell in the way we do, but he was getting that. Remember that in the second century B.C., the ideas of Greek culture, Hellenism, was really invading the whole world. And some of it was good, but a lot of it wasn't. Uh, and it was difficult to kind of pick and choose. Apparently, this fellow, the author here, we don't know who by name, um, chose to pick out the good parts. But again, they were not well-defined or well-thought-out. <laughs> Nevertheless, the whole idea of 
the problem of people suffering death. And of course, we generally think about it as death of a child, an infant particularly, or a, a child, or even a young person. Death for an elderly person is rather common and expected to some degree. Uh, but death of a young person, uh, and I have experienced that personally myself, uh, is very hard to accept. And we wonder why. Why does God do this? Well, we don't know all of the answer, but we know that that is part of life, and we have to accept it, and we have to be prepared for it as well. But the wicked shall receive a punishment to match their thoughts, since they neglected righteousness and forsook the Lord. For those who despise wisdom and instruction are doomed. Vain is their hope, fruitless their labors, and worthless their works. There, now, here's a part that I disagree with and the church disagrees with. Their wives are foolish and their children wicked. Accursed their blood. Uh, and another place in this book, it talks about the sins of the wicked person will follow their family for several generations. Well, we do not, we do not believe in that. But that was Jewish culture for many, many, uh, years. And to some degree, it still is. Not quite as severe as it was. But for many, uh, centuries, the Jewish people felt that the wrongdoings of a family would follow the children and the, uh, all the descendants of that family for generations. That is not the case. Everybody is judged solely on his own and what, uh, he is judged with <clears throat> does not follow. And that's true for even good people. You might have a saint who had uh, children who went in the opposite direction. Um, because of the father or the, the parents' sainthood, and I'm using that in a general uh, way, that doesn't necessarily cover the sins of the children. You have childlessness. The whole idea of women, married women, who cannot bear children, even though they are of a righteous nature. Uh, that was a constant problem among, among Jewish culture. Uh, because in that culture, they expected large families. And people who had large families were blessed automatically they were appeared to be blessed because they had large families, whether they could feed them or clothe them or take care of them or not <clears throat> was immaterial. They were being blessed because of the number of children. Uh, we know that isn't quite the case. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, this passage here is about married women who want children but cannot 
for whatever reason happen. It says, blessed is she who, childless and undefiled, never knew transgressions of the marriage bed, for she shall bear fruit in the judgment of souls. So also the eunuch, you all know what a eunuch is, I hope, uh, as long as he did not Um, bring that upon himself, then he is not going to be judged as not being able to uh, father children. So also the eunuch uh, who have uh, wrought no misdeed, who have no wicked thoughts against the Lord, for he shall be given fidelity's choice reward and a more gratifying heritage in the Lord's temple. For the fruit of noble struggles is a glorious one, and unfailing is the root of understanding. But the children of adulterers will remain without issue. Now that's not the true, that's not, of course, the Christian way of thinking. <clears throat> but the children of adulterers will remain without issue, and the progeny of any unlawful bed will disappear. For should they attain long life, they will be held in no esteem and dishonored uh, will their old age be in the end. Should they die abruptly, they will have no hope nor comfort in the day of scrutiny. For dire is the end of the wicked generation. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that has changed dramatically. There's a number of things that Jesus changed because the Jewish people misunderstood or were <laughs> copying uh, cultures from the nations around them. And <clears throat> we know that during the monarchy, the period of the monarchy, uh, God sent 15 different uh, prophets to try to correct the evils of the time. And they were all ignored. And most of them were put to death by their own people because they didn't like what the prophets had to say, even though they accepted the fact that the prophets were speaking for God. And that is kind of an interesting mystery that we all have wrestled with, I think, at times. says, better is childlessness with virtue, for immortality is the memory of virtue. Now, let me back up a little bit. This is one of the reasons why the church um, disapproves of artificial insemination and some of the uh, processes that people go through to try to have children. Uh, you're trying to be play God and be without. The point that is making here in chapter 4 is that it is better to accept nature in the way it is given to you than to try to maneuver or manipulate it uh, to suit your own desires. Better is childlessness with virtue 
For immortal is the memory of virtue, knowledge both by God and human beings, when it is present, people imitate it, and they long for it when it is gone. And we're talking about childlessness and virtue. Forever it marches, crowned in triumph. Virtuous is an unsullied deeds of valor, but the numerous progeny of the wicked shall be of no avail. Their spurious offshoots shall not strike deep root, nor take firm hold. Well, as I said before, that is not the Christian world. For even though their branches flourish for a time, they are unsteady and shall be rocked by the wind, and by the violence of their winds uprooted. Their twigs shall be broken off untimely, and their fruit useless, unripe for eating, fit for nothing. For children born of lawless unions give evidence of the wickedness of their parents when they are examined. Now that's not necessarily true. But again, that was part of Jewish culture and uh, we have to, of course, understand that but not accept it. On early death, these are the three things that this section deals with here. But the righteous one, though he die early, shall be at rest in God. For the age that is honorable comes not with the passing of time, nor can it be measured in terms of years. Rather, understanding passes for gray hair. <laughs> wonder what happens to no hair. <laughs> and an unsullied life is the attainment of old age. The one who pleased God was loved. Living among sinners was transported. Snatched away, lest wickedness pervert his mind. That is, those people who die early. That's what we're talking about. Early death. The one who pleased God was loved, living among sinners, was transported, snatched away, lest wickedness prevent his mind, or deceit beguile his soul. Now that's true for those who die in under natural circumstances. For people who uh, do unlawful things, whether it be drugs or guns or uh, driving foolishly and then end up in an accident and so forth, uh, these nice words do not apply because they were doing something that they knew was wrong and were still doing it anyways. All right. That is an exception to what is being said here. The one who pleased God was loved. Living among sinners was transported, snatched away, lest wickedness pervert his mind or deceit beguile his soul. For the witchery of paltry things obscures what is right, and the world of desire transforms the innocent mind. 
Having become perfect in a short while, he reached the fullness of a long career, for his soul was pleasing to the Lord. Therefore he sped him out, he, meaning God, sped him out of the midst of wickedness. But the people saw and did not understand, nor did they take that uh, consideration into account. In other words, God will often take people out of this world for reasons that we cannot explain. And you have to look upon it as this is the will of God and we just have to accept it that way. Yes, the righteous one who has died early will condemn the sinful who live and youth swiftly completed will condemn the many years of the unrighteous who have grown old. Well, I don't agree with that, and I don't think the church would agree with that. God is the only one who can judge, whether it be a rightful judgment or an unlawful judgment. For they, the wicked, will see the death of the wise one and will not understand what the Lord intended or why he kept him safe. They will see and hold him in contempt, but the Lord will laugh them to scorn. And they, the wicked, shall afterward become dishonored corpses and an unceasing mockery among the dead. For he shall strike them down, speechless and prostrate, and rock them to their foundations, and they shall be utterly laid waste, and shall be in grief, and their memory shall perish. It's unfortunate. <clears throat> Is there any questions? Yeah. Is that the reason that um, uh, another way of having children is objected to by the church? Is that the only reason? I mean, this was written before Jesus, and we know it's based on what they believed at the time. It would seem to me that that's not good enough reason. Well, I'm sorry, and I lost lost the point that you're making, but. It is better that better is childlessness with virtue that is childlessness that cannot be prevented in any other way. But it can be today. Yes. Okay. And you're saying the, ch the church does not condone artificial means. Okay. Uh, yes. But is this the only reason? Well, then there's probably many other reasons. Because this, this is not enough for me for the, for that to be the reason, because um, it depends on when it is written, because it's written before Christ, and it has his teachings, mm -hmm. and other words he has said about that. Now, we're talking about artificial means of yeah, conception. That's right. All right. We're not talking about abortion here. No. 
Okay. No. You're talking about having children. Yes. Okay. And the means by which one has children. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can assume that some of these things don't hold water today. That's right. Well, there might, yeah, there might be other reasons that the church would condemn artificial uh, insemination or conception, uh, but I'm not, perhaps not familiar with them. Because of the procedure that they use, they fertilize multiple eggs that become fertile, but they only implant one and they throw the rest away. So mm -hmm. it's like abortion because they're throwing away fertilized ovum. Yeah, well, that that is another reason for uh, artificial insemination not being uh, accepted. But the whole idea is. God made us uh, to procreate in a certain way. And that is the only way that is acceptable to the church. Okay. These other ways, uh, you know, are men playing God. And that's what we don't want. Yeah. Well, yeah, but if it is done in any other way than the natural way, then it is wrong. Because you cannot play God. Yeah. You, play, you, you pray to God to accept what is given to you. Wrong. Uh, well, now, wait a minute. <clears throat> I mean, like, where do you draw the line? You know, where is it medicine that's okay? Because I mean, because everything we do to a sick person to help them live longer is interfering with with God's plan. If if we want to look at it that way, when where how do you draw the line? Yeah, well, you've got a point there. Um, I think medication to help you to help the woman or the man, for that matter improve his or her health in order to conceive a child that would be acceptable um, but let's let's not get too deep into that particular subject because that's not uh, certainly part of my uh, education I had three children but <laughs> all the natural way <laughs> uh, Let's go on to um, verse 20 here. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20. 
fearful shall they come at the counting up of their sins and their lawlessness uh, lawless deeds shall convict them to their face <clears throat> all right then shall the righteous one with great assurance confront his oppressors who set at naught his labors now is the time when the righteous speaks out Seeing this, the wicked shall be shaken with dreadful fear and be amazed at the unexpected salvation. They shall say among themselves, Rufo, and groaning through anguish of spirit, this is the one who once we, that is the wicked, held as a laughing stock and as a type for mockery, fools that we were. Now it is the wicked who are seeing the good people and why and what is happening uh, to both sides. His life we accounted madness and death dishonored. See how he is accounting among the heavenly beings, how his lot is with the holy ones. When we then have strayed from the way of truth, the way of truth, God's plan of salvation, and the light of righteousness did not shine for us, and the sun did not rise for us. We were entangled in the thorns of mischief and of ruin. We journeyed through the trackless deserts, but the way of the Lord we never knew. Well, that can't be because God has made it very clear, but they ignored it at the time. <clears throat> what did our pride avail us? What have wealth and its boastfulness afforded us? All of them passed like a shadow and like a fleeting rumor, like a ship traversing the heavy water. When it has passed, no trace, no trace can be found, no path of its keel in the waves. Or like a bird flying through the air, no evidence of its course is to be found. But the fluid air, lashed by the beating of pinions, that is wings, and cleft by the rushing force of speeding wings, is traversed. And afterward, no mark of passage can be found in it. In other words, their lives, the lives of the wicked, uh, will be lost but the, the lives of the just will be remembered. Of speeding wings is traversed, and afterward no mark of passage can be found in it. Or as when an arrow has been shot at a mark, the parted arrow, or the parted air, straightway flows together again, so that none discerns the way it went. Even so, once born, we abruptly came to nothing and held no sign of virtue to display, but were consumed in our wickedness. Yes, the hope of the wicked is like chaff borne by the wind and like fine storm-driven snow, like smoke scattered by the wind and like the passing memory of the nomads 
camping for a single day. But the righteous live forever, and in the Lord is their recompense, and the thought of them is with the Most High. And therefore shall they receive the splendid crown, the beautiful diadem from the hand of the Lord, for he will shelter them with his right hand and protect them with his arm. Remember a few lessons ago I talked about various double understandings of certain things in Jewish culture. The hand represents power and the arm represents strength. He shall take his zeal for armor and arm his creation to requite the enemy. Uh, And he shall put on righteousness for a breastplate and wear sure judgment for a helmet. He shall take invincible holiness for a shield and sharpen his sudden anger for a sword. The universe will war with him against the foolhardy. Well-aimed bolts of lightning will go forth and from the cloud will leap to the mark as well as a well-drawn bow. And as from a sling, wrathful hailstones shall be hurled. The water of the sea will be enraged, and flooding rivers will overflow them. A mighty wind will confront them and winnow them like a tempest. Thus lawlessness, that's what was being described here, will lace the whole world and evildoing overturn the thrones of mighty. In other words, this author is predicting that the end of the world will be caused by the wicked of the world and it will all be seen at the end of time. Well, in their, in that culture, no. Now, the whole idea of a wicked person turning away from wickedness and accepting punishment and repentance and being evil came about through Christ's teaching. But the Jewish people didn't look at it that way. See, their, their, their culture was not a spiritual culture. This is, you know, back in pre-Christian times. And the unfortunate part about, uh, part about that is that it was sort of black and white. You were either all wicked or you were all good. And that was shown by the good, you know, being blessed with wealth and possessions and children and education and the wicked being shown by all kinds of misfortune which isn't true in in our way of thinking but that was part of the culture and it is repeated and influenced here in this book but you can see where the author of this book is beginning to change but not quite made it all the way. 
Hear therefore, kings, and understand, learn, you magistrates of the earth. Give ear, you who have power over multitudes. He's talking about kings now, but he means really uh, all people. Give ear, you who have power over multitudes, and lord it over throngs of people, because authority was given you by the Lord and sovereignty by the Most High, who shall probe your works and scrutinize your counsels. Because though you were ministers of his kingdom, you did not judge rightly and did not keep the law, nor walk according to the will of God. This is part of the problem uh, that the Jewish people did, and that's why it's being put here in, in these, wor these words. <clears throat> The Jewish people did a great number of things that to the outside world uh, looked good, but inwardly they were wrong. Terrible and swift he shall come against you, that is God, because severe judgment awaits the exalted. For the lowly may be pardoned out of mercy, but the mighty shall be mightily put to the test. For the ruler of all, that is God, shows no partiality. That is repeated in several places in the New Testament. God shows no partiality, particularly in the letter of James. Nor does he fear greatness, because he himself made the great as well as the small and provides for all alike. But for those in power, a rigorous scrutiny intends. For you, therefore, O princes, are my words addressed, that you may learn wisdom and that you may not fall away. For those who keep the holy precepts, hallowed will be found holy. And those learned, and those learned in them will have ready a recompense. Desire, therefore, my words. Long for them, and you will be instructed. Resplendent and unfading is wisdom, and she is ready, readily perceived by those who love her, and found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who watches <clears throat> for her at dawn will not be disappointed, for she will be found sitting at the gate, for setting your heart on her is the perfect perfection of prudence, and whoever keeps vigil for her is quickly free from care, because she makes her rounds, seeking those worthy of her, and graciously appears to them on the way, and goes to meet them with full attention. For the first step this is important, for the first step towards wisdom is an earnest desire for discipline. Personal discipline. Then care for discipline is love of her. Love means the keeping of her laws. To observe her laws is the basis for incorruptibility, and incorruptibility makes one close to God. Thus, the desire for wisdom leads to a kingdom, 
If then you find pleasure in throne and scepter, you princes of peoples, honor wisdom that you may reign as kings forever. And the same is true for ordinary people. This next section is presented here as if Solomon is speaking. Obviously Solomon didn't write this because this was written eight or nine hundred years after Solomon. But nevertheless, it's put in the mouth of Solomon as if he is speaking. I think if we look at it as if we were speaking uh, and saying the same things, it would make a little more sense to us, being aware of that. Now, what is wisdom? And how she came to be, I shall proclaim. And I shall conceal no secrets from you. Who the I is in this case can only be God. But from the very beginning I shall search out and bring to light knowledge of her. I shall not divulge from the truth, diverge from the truth, sorry. Uh, neither shall I admit uh, consuming jealousy to admit consuming jealousy to my company. I don't get that one. Because that can have no fellowship with wisdom. A multitude of the wise is the safety of the world and a prudent king the stability of the people. So take instruction from my words to your prophet. Solomon says, I am immortal, the same as all the rest, and a descendant of the first one born of earth. And in my mother's womb I was molded into flesh, and in a ten-month period, of course we know that that's more of a nine-month period, but that's all right, body and blood, from the seed of a man and the pleasure that accompanies marriage. And I too, when born, inhaled the common air and fell upon the kindred earth. That's the way women bore children in those days, squatting and allowing the child to fall out. Wailing, I uttered the first sound common to all. In swaddling clothes and with constant care, I was nurtured. For no king has any different origin or birth. One, in other words, he was born just like any other human being. So that at birth we are all pretty much uh, alike. One is the entry into life for all. And in one same way they leave it. Therefore, I prayed and prudence was given me. I pleaded, and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I preferred you to scepter and throne, and deemed riches nothing in comparison with her, nor did I liken any priceless gem to her, because all gold in view of her is a bit of sand, and before her silver is to be counted mire. In other words, he's 
giving you his opinion of the value of wisdom. Now, when we're talking about wisdom here, again, it is similar to a moral virtue, not intelligence. Beyond health and beauty, I loved her. And I chose to have her rather than the light, because her radiance never ceases. Yet all good things together come came to me with her, and countless riches at her hands. I rejoiced in them all, because wisdom is their leader, though I had not known that she is their mother. Sincerely, I learned about her, and ungrudgingly do I share her riches. I do not hide away, for she is unfailing, an unfailing treasure. Those who gain this treasure win the friendship of God, being condemned, I'm sorry, being commended by the gifts that come from her discipline. Now grant, now God, grant I speak, now God, I speak uh, suitably and, uh, and value these endowments at their worth. For he is the guide of wisdom and the director of the wise. For both we and our words are in his hands, as well as prudence and knowledge of crafts. For he gave me sound knowledge of what exists, that I might know the structure of the universe and the force of its elements, the beginning and the end and midpoint of time, the changes in the sun, He's referring to all of the things that that the Jewish people sort of took pride in discovering or promoting or whatever, but actually most of that came from Egypt. The beginning of the uh, and the end of midpoint of times, the changes in the sun's course and the variations of seasons, that is astrology, cycles of years, calendar, positions of stars, natures of living things, tempers of beasts, powers of the winds, and thoughts of human beings, use of plants and virtues of roots. Whatever is hidden or plain, I learn, for wisdom the artisan of all taught me. For in her spirit is a spirit intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, agile, clear, unstained, certain, never harmful, loving the good, keen, unhampered, benefit, kindly, firm, secure, tranquil. These are all attributes of wisdom. All powerful, all seeing, and pervading all spirits, though they be intelligent, pure, and very subtle, for wisdom is mobile beyond all motion, and she penetrates and pervades all things by reason of her purity, for she is a breath of the might of God, and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore nothing can defile her or enter into her, for she is the reflection of eternal light 
the spotless mirror of the power of God, the image of his goodness. Although she is one, she can do all things, and she renews everything while herself perduring. Passing into holy souls from age to age, she produces friends of God and prophets. For God loves nothing so much as the one who dwells with wisdom, for she is fairer than the sun and surpasses every constellation of the stars. Compared to light, she is found more radiant, though night supplants light, wickedness does not prevail over wisdom. All of this, to me, is attributes of the Holy Spirit. Who else could have all of this in one person? Her I loved and sought after from my youth. I sought to take her for my bride and was enamored of her beauty. She adds to nobility the splendor of companionship with God. Even the ruler of all loved her, for she leads into the understanding of God and chooses his words. If riches are desirable in life, what is richer than wisdom who produces all things? And if prudence is at work, who in the world is a better artisan than she? Or if one loves righteousness, whose works are virtue? She teaches moderation and prudence, righteousness and fortitude, and nothing in life is more useful than these. Or again, if one yearns for wide experience, she knows the things of old and infers the things to come. She understands the turns of phrases and the solutions of riddles. Signs and wonders she knows in advance and the outcome of times and ages. And so I determined to take her to live with me knowing that she would be my counselor while all was well, and comfort and care and grief. Because of her, I have glory among the multitudes, and esteem from the elders, though I am but a youth. I shall become keen in the judgment, and shall be a marvel, and shall be a marvel above rulers. They will wait while I am silent and listen when I speak. And when I shall speak the more, they will put their hands upon their mouths. Because of her, I shall have immortality and leave to those after me an everlasting memory. I shall govern people and nations, and nations will be my subjects. Now he's talking, and this is, this is Solomon again. Tyrannical princes, hearing of me, will be afraid. In the assembly I shall appear noble and in war courageous. Entering my house, I shall take my repose beside her, for association with her involves no bitterness, and living with her no grief, but rather joy and gladness. Reflecting on these things and considering in my heart that immortality lies in kinship, kinship with wisdom. 
great delight in love of her and unfailing riches in works of her hands, and that in associating with her there is prudence and fair renown in sharing her discourse. I went about seeking to take her for my own, and now I was well favored. Now I was a well favored child, and I came by noble nature, or rather, being noble, I attained an unblemished body. And knowing that I could not otherwise possess her unless God gave it to me. And this too was prudence to know whose gift she is. I went to the Lord, hopefully in prayer, and besought him and said with all my heart, O Lord God, God of my ancestors, Lord of mercy, you have made all things by your word, and in your wisdom have established mankind to rule the creatures produced by you and to govern the world in holiness and righteousness, and to render judgment integrity of heart. Give me wisdom, the concert at your throne, and do not reject me from among your children, for I am your servant, the child of your handmaid, a man weak and short-lived, and lacking in comprehension of judgment and of laws. Indeed, though one be perfect among mortals, if wisdom who comes from you be lacking, that one will count for nothing. For you have chosen me king over your people and magistrate over your sons and daughters. You have bid me build a temple on your holy mountain and an altar in the city that is your dwelling place, a copy of the holy tabernacle which you established from of old. Now with you is wisdom who knows your works, and was present when you made the world, who understands what is pleasing in your eyes and what is conformable with your commands. Send her forth from your holy heavens and from your glorious throne dispatcher, that she may be with me and work with me, that I may know what is pleasing to you, for she knows and understands all things and will guide me in prudently in my affairs and safeguard me by her glory. Thus my deeds will be acceptable and I will judge your people justly and be worthy of my father's throne. For who knows God's counsel or who can conceive what the Lord intends? For the deliberations of mortals are timid and uncertain are plans. For the corruptible body burdens the soul and the earthly tent weighs down the mind with its many concerns. Scarcely can we guess the things on earth, and only with difficulty grasp what is at hand. But things in heaven, who can search them out? Or who can know your counsel unless you give wisdom and send your Holy Spirit from on high? And thus were the paths of those on earth made straight, and people learned what pleases you, and you say you were saved by wisdom. Amen. Amen.
it is a beautiful chapter, and if you think about, again, as wisdom being the Holy Spirit, I can't see how you could not want to have the Holy Spirit within you. And therefore, I caution you all and recommend that you pray for the gift of wisdom as it is intended here because it will guide you according to the teachings of Christ. All of the people, the Jews of the diaspora, that is probably North Africa and all of the rest of the world outside of Palestine, which was probably a lot more people in terms of numbers. Remember that most of the uh, early Christians were Greek-speaking, not Hebrew-speaking. And, uh, of course, this goes against a lot of the old Jewish culture. And that's why it was not accepted. Also, it was not accepted because after the the Hebrew canon, that is the Hebrew scriptures of what we call the Old Testament, were brought together and finalized, they didn't want to add anything more, even though it was worthwhile and should have been. Any questions? Well, I hope you'll spend some time thinking about this particular chapter uh, and this book and really making it a part of your life because all of this could be with a little word change here and there be a prayer that we could say on a daily basis. Any questions or comments? All right. Let us end with a prayer. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, after reading all of that, what could we ask for but an infilling of your Holy Spirit? Help us to understand the importance of the gift of wisdom that the Spirit and only the Spirit can give us. Help us to understand the value of right thinking according to your most holy will. So we ask your blessing on our efforts in this way. We ask you to help us to understand the whole idea of the gift of wisdom. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name.